0: Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Lauren. Welcome back to the BioEats World Journal Club, where every Thursday we discuss breakthrough scientific research, the new opportunities it presents, and how to take it from paper to practice. So Lauren, what's today's breakthrough? Today we're talking about an exciting advance in the world of regenerative medicine, This work was done in the lab of my guest, Professor Anthony Atala from the Wake Forest School of Medicine, and his team created an engineered uterus that can support live births. Wow, an engineered uterus. Are we actually at a point, though, where an engineered uterus could function like a normal one? Incredibly, yes, but this is no simple feat. The uterus is a complex and multifunctional organ, and it took nearly 18 years to achieve this remarkable result. Our conversation covers how they engineered these uteruses and tested them in rabbits, the next steps for moving into the clinic, and I ask about one fascinating potential future application of this technology. We start with Dr. Atal explaining all the roles that these re-engineered uteruses needed to fulfill in order to function.
1: The uterus is an amazing organ. It goes through amazing transformations during a nine-month period where it increases in size and it brings in all this extra nutrition and vascularity just to support the development of a baby. And at the time of delivery, it has different functions in terms of contraction. So there are all these things that go on with the uterus that allows a baby to develop and be delivered safely.
0: It's the fact that it has so many different functions and that it changes throughout pregnancy must be a special challenge when regenerating a uterus. So what kind of progress has been made in using regenerative medicine to repair or replace uterine defects? When it comes to regenerative
1: medicine, the goal here is really to try to engineer a uterus using the patient's own cells. The concept is you go into the patient, you take a very small sample of tissue, less than half the size of a postage stamp, you would expand those cells outside the body and then create a new structure that you can then implant back into the body to basically form a new uterus that will do what the normal uterus is supposed to do.
0: So what are the key benefits of using a patient's own cells as opposed to maybe like an embryonic stem cell line?
1: You know, and it's critical. Uterine transplantation has been proposed and has actually been done in patients. And that is where a uterus gets transplanted from one patient to the other. But of course, when you do that, it requires anti-rejection medications. So by using the patient's own cells, you really are getting rid of all the rejection issues. And the major thing is that a lot of these uterine abnormalities are structural abnormalities. It's not the right size, not the right shape, etc. So it's not the cells that are the problem. It's a structural element. And the engineering for the uterus is creating a structural element that can really withstand a pregnancy.
0: That makes sense. As we mentioned, this uterus is a very complex organ and it's not just the cells that make up the uterus. It's also the size and shape of it that's critical to its role in supporting a pregnancy. So when you're thinking about a regenerative medicine problem and your lab has worked on regenerating a lot of different types of organs, what are the building blocks that you have to work with?
1: We've been working on this organ for over 18 years, believe it or not, and at the end of the day, the basic elements of what makes the organ are the cells that reside in the organ and the matrix or the glue that keeps the cells together. The concept is really do all the cell biology that we can to make sure that your starting material is gonna be reliable, and then how to put those cells together to actually create structures that can develop into normal tissue And by doing so, you need this extracellular matrix or the glue again that binds these cells together and to do so in a very organized manner to make sure that you're going to get the same results every time.
0: So you mentioned that you've been working on this problem for 18 years. Was it the cells or was it the glue that tripped you up or something about the combination of it? What was the cause of the long arc of this project?
1: You know, it's actually typical for us to take that time to create these structures for patients. So we've been at it now for about 30 years, and we now have implanted a whole number of tissues into patients, including engineered bladders and skin and cartilage and vaginal organs and urethras, for example. And so it's really about the same timeline in that you need to do the cell biology getting those cells to grow, getting to be organized, it takes time. You know, it's basically recapitulating what the body does. And it's not like we're discovering anything, because the body already developed the uterus. It's really rediscovering, in a way, how to replicate that outside the body so you can have a successful outcome.
0: I love that framing of it's not discovery, it's recapitulating what nature already does. So one last question about the background of the study is that it uses rabbits and most of the papers that I've covered on Journal Club so far with model organism, it's mice or rats. So what's the benefit of doing this type of research in rabbits?
1: When it comes to regeneration and tissue engineering, everything regenerates in the mouse and the rat. I mean everything because the distance is so small in terms of the organs that you can use silk paper and implant it into a rodent and it'll regenerate. We established several decades ago that the maximum distance for natural tissue regeneration is about half a centimeter from any edge. And basically in animals you can regenerate pretty much anything within that distance. So you really do need critical size defects to show that what you're doing with your cells and your scaffolds are in fact responsible for the regeneration of the tissue And it's not just the natural ability of the rodent to regenerate that's actually making it happen. Because you need an animal model that is really applicable to the human experience.
0: I see. So it's not necessarily something about the rodent cells that have this extra regenerative capacity. It's just that they're small. And so if you make a a defect in that, all they need is like a little bit of scaffold and the cells can regenerate.
1: Exactly. And actually, it's the same in humans. I always give the example that someone may cut themselves shaving and it bleeds like crazy, but a week later, there's no scar, right? But if you have a larger defect in that human, then you do have a scar because it does not regenerate. And so it's the same thing in a rodent model, right? A rodent will regenerate because it's a small tissue, it's a small organ. When you get to the rabbit or beyond, those defects are more like the human. You really do need additional healing capacity just in the distance the size
0: so now that we've got that background on the problem that you're setting out to solve which is regenerating and replacing a uterus in a rabbit model uh, using this regenerative medicine techniques and we mentioned that the building blocks of regenerative medicine are these scaffolds and the cells so let's start by discussing the scaffold what were the desired characteristics that you were looking for when selecting from your various arsenal of scaffolds that you have
1: Yeah, we have a family of over 20 different biomaterials that we use and we mix and match these to recreate the structural elements and biomechanical properties of the tissue we're trying to replace. Because if we're trying to replace a piece of bone, for example, it's going to require a very different biomaterial than if we're trying to replace a uterus, right? One's going to be, you know, needs to withstand pressure at, at different levels one is more elastic, there are different properties. In this case, we were looking for a material that would be able to withstand thicker tissues and that would uh, keep its rigidity for the tissue, but also would have the elasticity necessary to grow over time.
0: So that's the scaffold. It needs to be rigid yet flexible. And then tell me about the cells and how you combine those two to make a kind of integrated unit that you could surgically deliver back into the rabbit.
1: The uterus histologically is composed of two major cell types, endometrium and myometrium. Myometrium is mostly muscle, which is the outer layer of the uterus. And endometrium is really where all the lining cells are that really cause all the hormonal changes that occur throughout pregnancy. The endometrium is reacting to those hormonal changes. The process is we take a biopsy, A small sample of tissue we expand the cells outside the body and we then create the scaffold we coat the outside with the muscle cells or the myometrial cells and we then coat the inside with the endometrial cells which are the lining cells and so we create this three-dimensional structure that has the same organizational elements that the normal tissue does And we then let that mature over time.
0: I see. You're not just seeding cells into the scaffold. You're actually seeding the layers of the cells so that they grow out and recreate this complex structure.
1: Absolutely. When engineering these structures, we're creating these one layer at a time to create that tri-layered structure that's required for this particular organ.
0: So you've got these implants and you're going to put them into rabbits where you've resected their uterus what are the key characteristics that you're looking for to confirm that this implanted new uterus is creating the structure that you want?
1: So you really do require very good controls for these types of experiments, right? Because we really want to make sure that the scaffold and the cells that we're putting in are truly responsible for the regeneration of the normal organ. So in this particular study, we used the experimental rabbits where we replace the uterus with the scaffold with the cells. But then we had a separate control group where we replaced it just with a scaffold alone with no cells. And then, of course, we had a separate control group, which were our normal rabbits that could function in the usual manner. But then we had yet another control group where we resected the uterus in the same manner, but we just sutured everything together. So we didn't put a scaffold or scaffold with cells. And so this allowed us to see the natural history, if you will, of what would happen in terms of regeneration for the specific organ in the rabbit.
0: Well, what sort of experiments or validation were you doing to say, this looks like a functional uterus versus we need to keep plugging away on the cell biology or try a different scaffold?
1: Yes, it was, of course, trial and error at first. But then what we do is we really track these in animals and make sure that they're developing normally, that they do form the tri-layer structure, that they're forming the tissue the way we want it, right? What does a normal uterus do? The normal tissue has these estrogen receptors, these progesterone receptors, they have these secretory glands called uteroglobins. And so we're making sure that the uterus is developing the matrim and endometrium in the same manner, including the glands, and that you're responding to the hormonal cues that are necessary. The ones that were implanted with a scaffold alone did not do well at all. They basically fibrosed, they strictured, they contracted over time, and they did not lead to any normal regeneration of the uterus.
0: Right. Those validations are critical. And, and as you said, you know, it started with a lot of trial and error and worked your way towards getting something that looked like the natural uterus. But the most critical way to tell if you have recreated the uterus is to see if they can support a pregnancy. And that was the exciting result in this paper. Can you walk me through what that experiment looked like and what you found?
1: Absolutely. So after knowing that these tissues really did form normally, the final test is pregnancy, of course. So these animals were mated and we were able to see that the engineered uterus was able to support conception, it was able to support embryo implantation, and it was uh, able to support fetal development all the way to term, including life delivery of a viable fetus that was normal. And we were able to reach a pregnancy rate in about 30% of these
0: I mean just that list of the number of things that had to go right with this reengineered uterus from implantation that you know incredible interaction between the fetus and the mother the placentation and then important contractions and birth of the pups That's so incredible that that was able to be regenerated and recapitulated. Let's talk about the next steps. How do you take this research from paper to practice? What are the key next hurdles that you need to cross?
1: We still have a lot of work to do. This is just a proof of principle study. To get this to a human, it really does require even larger animal models, right? And the advantage of the larger animal models then becomes that you're not really having to worry as much about the surgical aspect of these implants because the smaller they are the more problems you get from the surgical implantation right because you're dealing with some smaller structures whereas as you go to a larger animal model you have a better representation of what you would expect in a human so we have to just be sure that these technologies are able to be replicated and that they can keep doing what we would expect them to do time and again in a safe manner
0: So what kind of conditions could a therapy like this be used to treat?
1: For this particular technology, any type of uterine infertility, and really when you're talking about infertility, you're talking about either ovarian dysfunction or uterine dysfunction or both. There's a lot of solutions for ovarian dysfunction, but there are many less so for uterine dysfunction. We don't have the ability to make a congenitally small uterus larger today. We don't have the ability to repair a didelphus uterus, one that developed into two separate structures that cannot be really connected because it's not large enough. You know, the option would be take it out. Well, we don't want to take it out. We want to leave it in and repair it using our engineered uterine tissue. There are conditions where there was a uterine malformation where the uterus never really formed very well, but there is a rudimentary structure So we can go to the rudimentary structure, take a biopsy from that rudimentary structure and create the majority of the uterus or the whole uterus for the patient. So there are many, many options that could be available if this technology works. So
0: this is really could address an unmet clinical need.
1: Definitely. And that is why we really aim towards this particular problem.
0: As I've talked to people about this research, there's kind of a sci-fi application that keeps coming up, and that is ex vivo pregnancy, so just dating a baby outside the mother. Do you think this research could be used as a first step towards that?
1: You know, it's very sci-fi, like you said it, but you know, there's one thing I've learned in science is that you never say never. Yes, you know, you never know where research goes and how that information is going to turn out to do something else. And of course, we use that all the time. We're very thankful to those who came before us, who made advances with cell biology, embryologic development, all the things that helped us to do what we are doing today. And we hope that we are able to help others in the future as they pursue other areas of research.
0: Right. What's the basic biology of today? could be the applied science of tomorrow. And you never know what we need in the future.
1: Absolutely. Fully agree.
0: Dr. Atala, thank you so much for joining me today on Journal Club.
1: It's great to be with you. Thank you.
0: And that's it for Journal Club this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And to learn more about how biology is technology, subscribe to our newsletter at a 16 zcom forward slash newsletters.